Hello, my name is Wang Yan, and I am a reporter with News China. With our weekly News China podcast, we aim to give insight into the trends and happenings in modern China through a historical lens. Today, we discuss baby booms in ancient China. China's population policy has attracted a lot of attention recently. Li Jiheng, China's Minister of Civil Affairs, acknowledged in his article in December that China's total fertility rate is, quote, below the warning line. However, he did not specify the warning line or the country's real total fertility rate. But in an article for the Beijing Daily, Cai Fang, Vice President of the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, wrote that China's total fertility rate has been below 2.1 for nearly three decades. The necessary number of children born to every woman to maintain current population levels. There have been similar warnings in the media and from scholars over the years. But Li's is the first from a government minister. In addition, this suggests that relaxing the one-child policy has not worked as well as expected over the last decade. In 2011, couples who are both only children are allowed to have a second child. In 2013, a second child is allowed to couples where one spouse is an only child. In 2015, the second child policy was extended to all couples. Given these changes, the news triggered a new wave of public concerns over its future impact on China's society and economy. Many scholars are calling for a complete end to China's birth control policies. However, the problem is that many young people are reluctant to have children. This trend has already manifested in other parts of the world. Many in Japan, South Korea, and Europe are still reluctant to have children despite government incentives. Similar trends and government policies in ancient China also impacted fertility rates. Families valued having children more in ancient China than today. There are several Chinese idioms about the importance of children, such as happy times with your children are what bond a family and happiness in old age is playing with grandchildren and having sweets. I have received two letters from the palace in the capital, but not one from you. I was so sad that I nearly died. I finally got your letter just now. It immediately dispersed my deep concern. It was as if I had been brought back from the dead. This is not a love letter. Is from one of the greatest Chinese emperors to his son, Li Shimin, the 7th century Tang Emperor who founded the most powerful and socially liberal dynasty in China, wrote this letter to his ninth son, the Crown Prince, while the emperor was away from the capital. As a Chinese saying goes, emperors love their eldest son most where ordinary people love their youngest son most. This is probably because the first prince was the most likely heir to the throne. 
But what was life like for children in ordinary families in ancient China? Life in a Village, a poem by Xin Qiji, a 12th century literate and general during the Northern Song Dynasty, paints us a picture. He saw an old couple and their three sons in a village by a brook. The old couple were drinking and chatting. East of the brook, their eldest son is honing weeds. Their second son now makes a cage for the hens he feeds. I like their youngest son, who, having nothing done, lies by the brook, piling lotus seeds one by one. This translation comes from Xu Yuanchong, a well-known translator of ancient Chinese literature. These above examples paint the gentler side of what was thought to be a harsher picture in ancient China, where everyone in society, from royal courts to common folk, was bound to be expectations of their official and social rank. For example, a typical Chinese family is expected to have a strict father and a gentle mother. Women did not work. They served their husbands and children. Their marriages were arranged by their parents. Tang Emperor Li Shiming's wife was held as a model wife. She was famous for fully supporting her husband, but rarely talking about politics. But today, many women choose to have only one child or not have children at all because they want to pursue their career or wait until they meet a suitable partner. How do you balance your family life and career as a scientist? asked Ming Yan, professor of molecular biology at Princeton University and a foreign associate at the U.S. National Academy of Sciences, to four male scientists during an online forum held in December. This question is often posed to successful or ambitious Chinese women, but rarely to men, and many women are getting fed up with having to face this question. In addition, the cost of raising children continues in to increase especially in big cities. The link between prosperity and population is prevalent in Chinese history. Only one out of a hundred survived. How heartbreaking that is, lamented Cao Cao, a politician who lived in the late 2nd and early 3rd centuries and founder of the Wei state during the Three Kingdoms period. He saw firsthand how social unrest and frequent wars during the final years of the Western Han Dynasty drastically reduced the population. It seems that rise of a dynasty generated an immediate surge in population, while its decline sees a shrinking one. According to research by Professor Ge Jianxiong at Shanghai's Fudan University, there is historical evidence to back up these drastic fluctuations in population. Half of population could disappear during the change of dynasties. But Professor Ge's research also shows that quick surges in population did not occur. It took about 200 years for the population to grow from about 15 million at the start of the Western Han at the end of the 3rd century BCE to about 20 million at the dynasty's end. However, growth during peacetime usually remained constant. In times of disaster, some families would claim more dependence than they actually had to receive more relief and supplies. In times of social unrest, 
Many people run away from home. They return home and had their household officially registered after peace was restored. All this created a false impression that the population suddenly ballooned. While fertility policies address important social issues of the time, sometimes their effect is compromised by more pressing political policies. In ancient China, policies on religious worship and using force were prioritized. Emperor Wu of the Western Han Dynasty in the second century BCE did away with his predecessor's welfare policies and instead launched many wars. One of his officials, Gong Yu, recorded that some people killed their newborns to spare them a life of conscripted labor and military service. These wars robbed time and labor from agricultural production. The burden on the population proved too great. The first massive peasant uprising in China broke out when a group of peasants faced the risk of being sentenced to death for being late for their conscripted military service. The uprising led to the fall of the Qing, China's first imperial dynasty. Wang Jun, a famous general in late 3rd century during the Western Jin dynasty, once led the, lab, the border area neighboring Wu Kingdom, one of the three major kingdoms at the time. He found that many of his subjects did not want to keep their male children because of the frequent wars along the border. In his old age, Emperor Wu realized the consequences of excessive use of force. He ordered to shift priorities from war to agriculture. In ancient China, prioritizing agriculture provided incentive to have more children. Wang Jin also reduced the taxes for people of childbearing age. The resulting population growth made it possible for him to lead the 18,000-strong navy that defeated the Wu Kingdom and united China once again. A large population was crucial to winning the frequent wars of the time. It took another 1,100 years for the population to increase from 60 million to 100 million in China. But that growth accelerated when the population reached 100 million. Professor Ge attributes this to advances in productivity, science and technology, social security and public health. Living standards also impact fertility rates throughout human history. According to research by Robert L. Kelly, professor of anthropology at the University of Wyoming, in hunter-gathered societies, a mother would often have four to six children. But in an agricultural society, a mother may have four to nine children. This was because hunting and gathering cannot provide stable, sufficient, and more diversified food sources for mothers and infants. While the constant work of hunting and gatherings for sustenance also reduced fertility rates. Professor Ge also found that due to widespread malnutrition from the frequent wars between the 8th and 3rd century BCE, the average childbearing ages were 30 for men and 20 for women, much older than today. How changes in genetics and environment affect human fertility has been an increasingly important focus of study over the past 20 years. Even with policies to encourage birth, 
It takes at least 15 years for a baby to grow up and make a visible impact on demographics. Any policy making that may have direct or indirect effects on birth rates in the short term must first take its long-term impacts into consideration. That is end of our podcast. Thank you to our writer Dr. Zhang Yue, editor and translator Li Jia, and copy editor JT. We hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for listening. See you next week.